Welcome to Church Unboxed, where we tackle the topics that most Christians are sometimes too scared to talk about. Each week, together with guests, I'll be uncovering issues that have been swept under the rug and listening to people who not only have inspiring stories, but in many cases are the voice of the voiceless. I'm your host, Sarah Tabo, worship leader, singer, and songwriter. Welcome this week's guest, Tim Farron. Hiya, Sarah. Hi, thanks so much for... Sorry, I go, no, I've, yeah. I've interrupted you. Go <laughs> yeah, on, no, go for the fine. bio. Go on. <laughs> It's absolutely fine. This happens almost all the time. Yeah. Tim Farron is a (laughs) British politician who served as leader of the Lib Dems from 2015 to 2017. He's also served as Member of Parliament for Westmoreland and Lonsdale since 2005. Prior to entering Parliament, Farron worked in higher education. Since 7th of February 2019, he's been the Lib Dem spokesperson for communities and local government. He was appointed spokesperson for housing and planning at the North Powerhouse in August 2019, succeeding the Lord Shipley. He served as spokesperson for works and pensions under Joe Swinson from 2019 to 2020. Tim Farron is a lifelong nonconformist Protestant and says that becoming a Christian at the age of 18 was the most massive choice he's ever made. He's a vegetarian and a lifelong fan of Blackburn Rovers. Thank you for joining us today, Tim Farron. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Indeed. And before we go into the juicy topic of Christians and politics, which I think is one of those... um, themes that we don't really get to talk about in church it'd be interesting obviously to unpack this today Mm. before we go into the meat of the discussion i have an icebreaker for you okay hopefully it's not going to throw a (laughs) curveball what is your favorite movie of all time and why oh now then i mean i I love films i'm i'm a pop music anorak Right, so I analyze music and I'm very, very nerdy about it. I'm a kind of regularly, a sort of slightly uncritical consumer of films. All right. Um, so, and a little bit slightly different. So, I guess I'm gonna have to say things that I absolutely love watching and I've always loved it watching with my family. So, let's just go for Home Alone 2 at Christmas. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's a very neutral. I know all noise. the lines. I know all really? the. Really? You know, yeah, all the lines. And also, we have these terrible. Now the kids are a bit older. We can do these sort of slightly out there things. We have a. We play a kind of uh, a game where we work out how many of the incidents that happen would actually be fatal in real life. I know, right? Because when you think <laughs> about it, you'd have called the, the ambulance and, yeah. <laughs> and the fire brigade for like a ten times in an hour or something. Yeah, and absolutely responsible when you think about it in today. It is, you know. although you know, having said that, and Donald Trump is in that film hey, as well. Yes, and indeed, the one, yeah. but and to, to be fair to the guy, when Kevin asks him for directions, he gives him good directions. So there you go. Yeah, well, what can you say about it's that? Not all bad. It's not all bad. <laughs> no, bad. That's a really good choice. That's a very interesting choice, given that it's going to come every year. So you can't every go wrong year. with Home yeah. Alone. Well, brilliant. So, um, how did you get into politics? Obviously, your bio says you became a Christian at eighteen. So, I would assume you're a Christian when you started um, your career in politics. It's a great question because uh, I mean. If you look at the bio, most of what you've read out there is stuff that's on Wikipedia and it's sort of 90% accurate. So I think of me being 18, uh, between my A-levels and going to university, um, where I ended up in a situation without going into too much um, boring detail, 
where I ended up reading a load of books, a lot of Christian books, and I didn't mean to. I just didn't have anything else to do. Right. Uh, I was in Singapore. My mum had a, a, was was lecturing there. Um, you know, I was a very poorly travelled person. It was my first, my second time abroad. Right. Um, I'm basically stuck in this room full of, full of books because the previous tenants of this house were Christians. Right. They'd worked for the college as well. Read the books. I thought, oh, flip a deck, it's true. And became a Christian. Wow. But do you know what? In the years since, in, in relatively recent years, that's five or six years, I have remembered, because it's not like I had no faith before then. Mm. It's just I wasn't a committed Christian. I didn't go to church. I wasn't consciously really a Christian, but I wasn't an atheist either. Mm. When I was nine, I remember being in a situation overhearing a conversation between my mum, her mate, and a guy I've never met ever but I heard his voice and I'll never forget it. Hmm. And he was urging my mum and her mate, Yvonne, to ask Jesus into their hearts. And oh, I was wow. nine in bed and I heard it and I thought, that sounds really important. I'm going to do that. Oh, wow. So I did. And I, and, it, and and it's funny, really, because I, I, I feel almost God is telling me, reminding me of that, because there's a danger. Mm. You know, evangelical circles, we, we venerate the testimony, maybe a bit too much, right? Mm. Um, and, and, and maybe I've made me coming to faith, all about clever me cleverly discovering Christianity. Mm. Um, when actually that's no such thing. It's always a gift. It's always a grace, an mm. act of grace. And Jesus is available. Yes, yes, he could stand his ground absolutely in the, you know, the most intellectual of company, but he's also available to a nine-year-old kid mm. who, you know, without any kind of, you know, intellectual mulling over at all, um, mm. was able to ask Jesus. So I became, a, I got involved in politics I joined a party when I was 16, the Liberals, as we then were. Wow. But I, um, and so I was not consciously driven into politics because of my faith. Um, I always say, and it's, I can be too simplistic about this, but I think my first political act was to join Shelter, which is obviously right. a campaign group for the homeless. Yeah. And, and I joined Shelter because I watched a repeat of Kathy Come Home and it made me cry. And I, and I was heartbroken. I wanted to do something mm. about housing and homelessness. So I joined Shelter. Mm. And a couple of years later, I joined the Liberals because I thought, yeah, basically speaking, I'm a Liberal. I'm an, I'm an awkward kid. I agree with them more than I agree with the others. Um, doesn't mean I agree with them 100% of the time. Yeah. And I never thought that I, it's not, if you'd asked me at 16, Sarah, would I, did I want to be an MP? I would have probably said yes, but only in the same way that if you'd asked me if I wanted to play for Blackburn Rovers, or to have a you know a top ten album with my terrible band, I'd have said yes, but they were not likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I ended there. up in politics. Yeah, well, I ended up in politics. Politics was a vocation, something I was going to do in my spare time. You know, right. um, it's not a thing I ever thought I'd do for a living, which is a massive, it's a massive blessing that I do. So yeah, no, mm. I became a Christian consciously, I guess, actively after being involved in getting involved in politics. So actually, the years that have followed, I've had to kind of recalibrate. Yeah. what I'm involved in politics for. Right. But it's interesting you say recalibrate what you're involved in politics for, because I was literally just going to say, when you started out, it was almost a case of compassion based on, you know, the you know what you watch and you saw and then what you joined mm -hmm. was really like a movement or a community action, more or less. So you actually joined out of compassion. I don't know. I would imagine that's still part of why you're there. But it's interesting that that was the main driver because... I don't know that many yeah. politicians, I have to be fair, but sometimes that doesn't seem to be the driver. Compassion doesn't seem to be the main reason why people go into politics. It's quite interesting. Your well, yeah, yes. I mean, obviously now having got involved in politics, I, 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 I just love the whole 
atmosphere, the the being part of a team, um, serving people. Obviously, I had opinions and trying to make sure that the right ones won and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, as I've gone on through my time as a councillor and as a member of parliament, the number one thing I think a Christian should be doing in politics is serving serving people um you aren't going to bring the kingdom about by means other than the cross and if you try you're a heretic (laughs) you know um you know we aren't going to do i mean it's tempting and often you know but we and now in a sense you know the the kingdom is already here in part and we to live those kingdom values here Mm. but i'm not going to i'm not going to successfully or even wisely legislate to make people who are not christians live as though they were there's no value in that um but there is value in Serving. You know, I recognize that every single person in the community you've been placed is made in the image of God. They're yeah. valuable, they're worthy, they're immense, they have immense dignity. And me serving them is a great calling. It's a way of loving your neighbor and having access to do it, you know, with some power. Mm. That's an interesting way to, to kind of um, express that because, in a way, it answers the question I was going to ask, which is what does the Bible say about Christians in politics? you know and you've talked about serving but it'd be yeah. interesting to unpack that even further because politics almost sounds like a dirty word in christian circles mm. it's like you know you've had you have all these images of politicians who don't keep their promises who do for very interesting things like throwing parties when they shouldn't and the like so it's <laughs> mm. you know so it's what does so people are a bit christians are a bit averse to the idea of considering themselves in politics but it'd be interesting yeah. to see Obviously, you've been in for decades and you've had, I would imagine, lots of experience with Christians and non-Christians and all and everything in between. What your thoughts are on the Bible's stance on Christians and politics, the hows and the whys? Right. That's a great question, Sarah. And I think let's try and I mean, I think there are various verses in the Bible that, that tell us that we should be served, we, you know, we should love our neighbor. Yeah. Um, yeah. That those who know the good they could do and don't do it sin so there's an opportunity for you know if you if you could do some good and you don't that's a bad thing yeah. um uh, jeremiah i think talks about um uh, when he reveals the word of the lord he talks about you know to to seek the welfare of the city in which you've been placed bear in mind that's a city these people have been taken away into exile to yeah. you know this is so that, that to seek their welfare good grief but i mean just more generally um wherever we are in, in, in a Christian society, because there aren't any really fully Christian societies, um, you know, so you, but you're going to serve the community you're in and, and seek its welfare. So I think we're called to do that. I, I think just so I think about this a lot. Right. I mean, I got involved in politics. Um, I became a Christian. I go to university and I get involved with navigators who are kind of and the Christian Union, so student Christian movement. Mm. And I remember going to a kind of navigator's coffee morning or whatever, um, in my or near my hall of residence in my first term or so at university in Newcastle. And there's a lad there who's a Christian, obviously, at my Christian Union thing, a navigator's thing. Yeah. And he said to me, because he'd, he'd seen that I was involved in the student union already and doing Liberal Democrat stuff. And he says, Tim, as a Christian, should you be involved with politics? It's a mucky business. Exactly. It's a mucky business, which has always stuck with me. And I think the answer to that is, yes, politics is a mucky business. And so is everything else since the fall. And, and Christians, I don't think we're told to hide away and be hermits. Mm-hmm. We've got to be careful we don't blend in, and so we lose our saltiness, but neither should we hide away. And, and so I think Christians, the way to look at politics, I think, from a Christian point of view, is to never panic 
Don't panic because, you know, we read the end of Revelation, it ends well. God's in control. We know it ends well. Every other kingdom will be rubble. Most of them are already. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But you should still get your hands dirty and your heart broken in the place that you've been put. You look at what Jesus, Jesus didn't float around his time here on earth you know, for example, Martha and Mary at the death of Lazarus. Going, ah, come on, girls, pull yourselves together. It's going to be all right soon. You know, I'm going to bring him back to dead from the dead. And he didn't do that. He was broken, broken as he walked towards the tomb, crying, weeping. I'm, I'm told that the New Testament Greek or the Aramaic translations that we read today in our current English language Bibles are pretty weak translations. Actually, right. Jesus wept or was deeply moved. Doesn't sum up how Jesus was. He was howling like a wild animal as he approached the tomb because he hates the thing that we fear the most. Uh, That's the saviour we've got, right? And if he's prepared, if he, with integrity, obviously, with honesty, as he's in those situations, enters into our pain and our experiences, so should we. So should Mm. we. Hmm. That is that is a really packed answer. I, I would never have thought of it from that perspective about Jesus. And actually that, that um, expression you gave about him weeping. And it just goes again to show faith in action. Um, I think we just kind of need to be a, a bit more emboldened to actually step out into action. Because we have the faith, we have the compassion, we have the zeal. But it's about taking that action. But again, you said something about not blending in, right? Because you go in and there's, as yeah. you say, it's a mucky business. And that's an interesting way to put it. But... There's also the, you know, it's always been said that you need to separate state, you know, the church from state. And then as a Christian, you are representing church and state because you are out there for the interest of, you know, the community. But then again, you can't sit down and watch somebody put in some regulations or legislation that would put the church in jeopardy or the Christian community in jeopardy. So having that sort of position where you're in between how has that been for you and maybe other Christians? Because you have to strike that balance. You're not there just yeah. for the church, but then you might see things that could put the church in jeopardy. And then you're like, I have to, you know, act. I, I'm, I'm sure you've had so many instances mm. where there's been those conflicting experiences or situations. Yeah. I mean, so I think I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't think, well, just to say a little bit what I said already, which is I don't think it's the job of Christians in parliament or anywhere else in the legislature to legislate to make people who are not Christians behave as though they were. I don't think there's any value in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I thought they were given any um, encouragement through the Bible to do that. And it's just counter counterproductive in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that I mean, I, in, in principle, I disagree with an established church. Um, you might say that as a, you know, as a, as a, I mean, I have been a member of the Church of England, but I'm not currently. I belong to an FIEC um, independent church, right. um, evangelical church. Um, so I've nothing against the Church of England. So, to, uh, but but I just the idea that we can legislate that there to be an official state religion doesn't feel right. Brackets, mm. brackets. The Church of England being present in every community does actually have some real benefits. So although in principle I'm opposed to there being a state church, in practice I'm a little bit, you know, ambivalent and I'm not I'm not certain. But I would say this. So I if I think that that Christianity or that shouldn't be the state religion, neither should anything else. In which, in, uh, by which I mean, neither should secular atheism be the state religion. But that could and I feel very easily if, if anything well, else were to step up. Yeah. And I think formally, Christianity is a state religion. Informally, atheism is a state religion. And the assumption that 
you know, we will tolerate you and your wacky Christian beliefs or your wacky Muslim or Buddhist beliefs or whatever. Um, but, you know, you are an aberration. You are an eccentricity. And the centre point, the neutral position is the absence of faith. And that's garbage. <laughs> the, the thing to realise, I think this is, you know, I said this is a liberal, but I think hopefully just as a rational person, there is no neutrality. Every opinion is loaded. And the best we can hope for in a free society is that we we respect each other's right to be different. Um, um, whilst uh, not claiming that one has mastery over the other. Now, I believe there is only one way to eternal life. I think I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, yep. which Jesus says. That is utterly unequivocal. There is no compromise with that. There is no other way at all. Um, it doesn't mean I don't respect other points of view. And I don't need, because God's in control. He doesn't need me to legislate to make people, you know, like I say, behave the way the Bible says. So I think the best thing for Christians to do in politics mm. is to serve, is to be a witness. Mm. There will sometimes come when you've got debate on issues about abortion, for example, which I think is one of those moral issues which are not self-regarding, I'm afraid. However much I would love to make it self-regarding, it's not. There is another life here. Um, you know, so there will be moments where you've got to make a stand or you've got to try and find a better compromise to make things a bit better. Mm. Um, but by and large, I don't think it is for me to sort of dictate to people because I believe X, you must live as oh, if yeah. you did too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd be surprised if anyone was going into politics as a Christian so as to make other people Christians because that is a completely different agenda. We do that through church, essentially. So, yeah. um, But it's interesting because I feel sometimes that even within politics, the church seems to be under attack. It seems that sometimes, and I could be wrong and we all could be wrong on the other side of the fence, but sometimes it would appear that certain things are being put in place to target churches when you have um, some legislation that, insists that you marry certain people even if you're not in support of their choices for example um, and also during um, lockdown last year there were some impressions or perceptions that some of the guidelines and rules that were put in place not just in the UK but globally seemed to be targeting not just gatherings but churches because you'd find during you know lockdown where you had protests in the streets you had certain kinds of gatherings but then the churches couldn't meet um, I'm mm. interested to know if you got that sort of feedback, yeah. given that you're in politics, and if you sense that, obviously, it may not have been an overt attack on the church, but it seemed to, to be subtle. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I think, well, a few really interesting points there. The, the first is, I don't think the church was targeted, particularly, but I think Christians, being people who seek to uh, respect the authorities and to love our neighbour, because that's essentially when we were when we were abiding by those restrictions through the worst of COVID, we were doing two things, weren't we? We were loving our neighbour by protecting them from the virus, yes. and we were respecting authority that had made the rules. Absolutely. And the problem is, not everybody does that, but Christians did. So we shouldn't complain that we were being what we were meant to be. <laughs> um, we should perhaps res uh, reflect on the fact that others weren't. So maybe, so don't whinge about it. Remember, we were being a good witness. Yes, <laughs> That's the yeah. thing I would say. Um, yeah, yeah. Other people weren't doing it. Some of them were very senior. Um, and 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 we were, and, you know, good. I think mm. um, there are issues, I think, when it comes to, um, you know, the... the 
so the, the society permits certain things, endorses certain things, lifestyles and um, different uh, interpretations of what marriage means and all that kind of thing is one thing. That churches and any other organisation should be told what their doctrine should be by the state is terrifying yeah. and fascistic. Yeah. No, There's no other way to describe it. And there's a danger that there are some people who mean well who might even call themselves small L liberal that have tiptoed into something far, well, sinister. Um, they may not like what the church teaches on things. Um, well, I'm afraid Jesus is offensive. If you haven't found him offensive, you haven't understood him. You have not understood him if you don't find him offensive. I love that. Um, and, and uh, I mean, utterly, utterly um, enchanting, uh, am amazing, you know, but this is somebody who tells you you're not your own. Um, and uh, and who tells you that you need to be forgiven and there's not a single thing you can do to save yourself. Yeah. Not a thing. Crushes your ego. It does. And so why would you be surprised that other things he says are offensive to you? Um, if there was a real God, you'd expect him to disturb you um, and contradict you. A fake God that you made up would affirm you and tell you everything's fine. You know, yeah. um, so the real God is going to going to challenge you and going to offend you. And the problem is that therefore you will find people who may mean well, let's give them their benefit of the doubt, mm. who will want to tip X, um, not out, not just in their own lives, what the Bible says about certain things, but tip X out things just from society as a whole. That is fascism. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. A real liberal stands up for the rights of people they disagree. Any old fascist can stand up for the people they already like and agree with. Um, and so so I think there is a danger, but a big, the massive but follows all that. Massive but. Mm. We live in one of the freest places in the world. Um, and, you know, you look at what it is to be a Christian in so many other parts of the world, North Korea, mm. Iran, Afghanistan, and what have you. You know, yeah. we are really free. And I think Christians shouldn't complain too much about the challenges we face. When I just mentioned what I just did about, um, you know, the potential for, um, you know, Christian doctrine being amended and uh, uh, even banned yeah. by, uh, by the state, I'm not offended as a Christian that they do that because I know God's in charge. He doesn't need me to defend him. Oh, I am offended as a liberal as a liberal because he needs totally illiberal yeah. to do that sort of thing. And so from a Christian, what are we told to do when someone strikes on the cheek? It's to turn the other one. It's not to whine about how we're being oppressed. You know, I think we are given plenty of um, encouragement in the Bible to stand up for the rights of others. Mm. I think we're given no encouragement at all to stand up for our own rights. We're meant That's to very, take it. That's a very it. interesting perspective because I would imagine – Maybe some people listening would have a different viewpoint in the sense of, well, if I'm there and I'm a Christian, I should be fighting our corner because no one's going to fight our corner. And I'm sure you've probably heard well, that many times said. I'm not saying we should, you know, just totally take it lying down yeah, or yeah. anything like that or agree with it. Mm -hmm. But I'm just mindful what Christians should be radical and we should be salty and we should astonish people. And one of the ways we astonish people is by not behaving like any other interest group that are, you know, so it's not that we, you know, so of course we should defend our rights. And as a liberal, I want to defend the rights of a minority 
I happen to belong to this minority, but a minority, but I want to defend other minorities too, not just yeah, yeah. me, um, as a, min- a, mi- a minority that thinks things that are countercultural. Brackets, Christianity is always countercultural. Mm. If it's not, we're not doing it right. Mm. Close bracket. Mm. Um, but I but I think that we should just be careful we don't sound like we're complaining too much. I often so it's true to say, um, because of the era we're living in in the West. There's a heck of a lot of religious, in um, what's the word? Re- religious uh, illiteracy. You know, we don't. People don't understand even the language of faith, and so they, they, you know, they, they make silly decisions. They, you know, they just don't get us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true, but I argue that's kind of society's problem, much as it's a bad problem. Our problem as Christians may be sometimes that we are politically and culturally illiterate, right. and we don't realise how we're heard. And if we're not careful, that reduces the chance of people listening to the gospel. Right. And, and that's that's terrible. And right. and so, you know, if I talk about Christians being an oppressed minority, well, we are. But most of society does not think that. They think we're privileged. After all, there's a Church of England. There are spaces in Parliament, in the House of Lords, reserved for bishops. Nobody else gets that. Wow. There's no spaces reserved for atheists or, you know, imams or, you know, or rabbis. They are just for bishops. So you can understand then why society thinks mm. that we're privileged, not oppressed. Mm. And so when we claim that we are oppressed and there may be something in that, we put people's backs up and we reduce our chance of getting a hearing. So we should be prepared to turn the cheek a bit more often than we do fight our own corner. That is really insightful. I had no idea that there were seats reserved for bishops in the Houses of Parliament. Well, nice people. Really I mean, I, I work on a, I, I belong to a, a group of MPs and peers mm. um, who belong to a little group called the Refugee Asylum and Migration Project. And our nice. job is to work across party um, to go for more compassionate approaches to migration, particularly asylum. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the people on this group is the Bishop of Durham. And he's a lovely guy. And, um, you know, and so the bishops are in the Lords do a good job by and large. But isn't it an interesting comparison to any other faith group? So but you see what I mean? When when we say we're marginalised or say, how can you be marginalised when you've got spaces set apart for you Mm. in the parliament? Really and the Queen is a defender of the faith, you know. Of course she is, and I hope her successor would be the same, whoever that I is. I pray for that. She's <laughs> yeah, a great, honestly. she's yeah. an amazing witness. Uh, you know, every morning in the House of Commons, uh, it starts with prayers. For so queen. another reason for people to remember that. Oh, now, just, yeah, every morning, and we always pray for the Queen, and we always pray the Lord's Prayer. Wow. And um, But yeah, no, she's been a wonderful servant. As long as and a great, well, I pray Charles knows the Lord. I pray so. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned, um, you know, there's a perception that we're privileged and all these things that you've highlighted actually would obviously kind of infer that. But you also said something about, you know, Jesus and the gospel and being a Christian would ideally be offensive if we're doing it right. And I did have a question to ask you about, you know, the Christian faith not being celebrated in the public square. You know, the minute, especially if you're a politician or somebody in the public eye, the minute you make known publicly your faith, people 
instantly, they kind of have that perception that you have certain worldviews on certain topics mm. and they straight away throw you a curveball with a very complicated question like, so what yeah. do you think about gay marriage or something to just you know, knock you off yeah. <laughs> the edge? So it'd be interesting to know what your thoughts are. And I'm guessing you may have come across this in, in the decade. Well, of course, I mean, you know. In I, the public I, eye. Yeah. So it'd be interesting yeah, to know what I mean, your I, thoughts are on, on that as well. Yeah. I mean, sadly, if people know anything about me, they know I was leader and I was that guy who got lots of, you know, grotty questions about sex and all yes. that. And, you know, and you kind of think, well, look, so if I wasn't leader at the time, and I'm not now, so I can do this in much more detail, then I'd take people on a on a journey. I'd do what Jesus did. Don't answer the question you're asked. Answer the question that they need answering. Um, you know, what do you mean by sin? You know, what do you think sin is? And to try and take people on that kind of a, a journey. But, of course, when you're the leader of a party and you're desperate, to, your, your job is to promote that party, to talk mm-hmm. about what we thought about, you know, the NHS, education, Europe, all those sorts of things. And if instead you're having to bat away all these questions about theology, which is really bizarre. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you know, it's that like it are a Christian, so they come with that. Well, yeah. and I think because look, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a I would if you put politically, I'm centre left. I'm quite I'm a sort of a radical liberal. Theologically, I guess I mean. I hate using the word, but I guess I'm small C conservative. I'm, I'm an orthodox. I'm a mainstream Christian. I'm a person who believes you shouldn't add to the Bible with extra hoops. And I'm a person who, you know, and, and extra uh, things to do to be saved. And I'm a person who thinks you shouldn't take away from the Bible, yeah. you know, um, so that you think you don't need to be forgiven. And um, so I call myself a mainstream, middle of the road, Bible believing Christian. But people will think, it's what, you've got these fairly left wing views, but you think this terrible right-wing stuff in the Bible, brackets, you've not read the Bible if you think that. But anyway, um, <laughs> and so it, so when G- Jacob Rees-Mogg gets um, asked about these sorts of things, people think, oh, well, that's consistent with your politics. So that's all right. Whereas if I'm, you know, I, if I believe what the Bible says, that jars, that's weird. How can mm. you be centre-left, but then believe this old mumbo-jumbo from the Bible? Mm. And I think people just don't understand the First of all, the, the rational case for Christianity, how reasonable it is to believe what the evidence is that should take you at least the point where you have to make a decision rather than dismissing it as being stuff for the credulous. Um, so but but yeah, so there you go. I mean, but it, I, I always say a wiser person than me could have navigated my experience better than me. And one of the blessings I find in my role now as a, you know, as a person who's not that old, but, you know, I love being in politics, I love being an MP. I think it's a great way to serve. I have no ambition to be leader or a minister or anything like that anymore. And I love doing what I do as a public Christian, if you like, able mm. to talk about the gospel. Um, and I, and so I spend quite a bit of time privately with other Christian MPs and other politicians mm. of other parties, all parties, just to kind of coach them, counsel them. Mm. How would you navigate the traps that were sent for me? Did you know. It more wisely than I did. Um, and so I don't think that, And I mean, I think people often say, you know, is there a glass ceiling for Christians in politics? And my answer is maybe, but look, I know it's only the Liberal Democrats, but I got to be, you know, president of my party during the time we had in government uh, in coalition. I got to be the leader of my party. So, you know, and I've been an MP for 17 years now. So if there is a glass ceiling for Christians in politics, it's pretty high. Yeah, and we shouldn't get ourselves like too concerned about this. As I say, you know, our job, we shouldn't seek martyrdom, but it's there sometimes. And just, you know, go out and serve and see what happens. Yeah, and it's very commendable what you said about mentoring other 
Christians um, who may find themselves in similar situations as you did. I actually followed your story quite closely when it did happen. So um, that's another reason why I was a bit starstruck when I was speaking to you earlier. Um, but um, Likewise. I, <laughs> I was going to ask you about the left-right political spectrum and where the mm. church should sit because we've seen over the years the church kind of slide from the right to the left. And it'd be interesting to know what your thoughts are on if you know, we should actually pick a side or we should be in the middle. You, your, your personal experience definitely tells me you don't pick a side. Yeah. But if you, if you had to speak for the church or the Christian community, what would be, how would you think or should I say advise things to be? Because so, obviously it probably won't be perfect now, but it'd hmm. be interesting to see what your thoughts are on how things should be. Yeah, I think Christians should consider picking a side and that's fine. I think the church should not, at least it should not in terms of, you know, an approach to partisan politics. I think one of the things that's caused, I mean, on my my podcast, uh, I talked to Russell Moore last week, who is the um, uh, as he's the chief theologian for Christianity Today, the, the, what used to be the Southern Baptist Convention in the States. And he's really interesting. He's absolutely a social conservative, a evangelical uh, Christian, and hugely opposed to Donald Trump, uh, which is quite <laughs> unusual, quite unusual. Um, because as you yeah. know, I mean, 80 yeah. plus percent of white evangelicals in the state back the Republican Party, back Trump. Yeah. Why? And, and so look, it's perfectly all right to back Trump as a Christian. I disagree with you, but it's okay to vote for him. You know, whatever, you make your choice. I disagree. But um, what I think has been damaging to Christianity and the gospel across the whole of the Western world has been the association of Christianity, shall we say, with the Republican Party in the States, and in particular with Donald Trump, because it means half the country has got its fingers in their ears when it comes yeah. to the gospel. It's really damaging. So I do not think that uh, the church should back a party. You might say that, you know, if you look at what the, the Bible is um, really clear on so many issues, mm. and it, you almost think that on, um, on issues to do with um I don't know, sort of social justice, yes. you might say the Bible's quite left-wing. And on issues to do with yes, personal sir. morality, yes, that the Bible might be a bit right-wing. But even that's too simplistic. Yeah, it's far too simplistic. And and I have friends, so, you know, one of the great blessings, and, I, and it's something I didn't do enough during the time up until I've been being leader, but I do a lot since. It's a bit properly networked into a fellowship of believers here in, in Parliament. So on Wednesday morning, I will meet with between half a dozen and a dozen fellow Christians who belong to my Bible study group and they belong to Labour, Tory, SNP and an independent member of the House of Lords and me. So that's five parties, if you like. Um, and in my podcast, I interview people from every group, so Brexiteers to Arch Remainers to Scottish Nationalists to Scottish Unionists, yeah. all Christians. And and I, I make it part of my mission now just to try to bridge a gap and make sure that people, you know, when they're thinking about when they are involved in politics and they're Christians, that we can disagree wildly, but we're still mm. brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a really important Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And there's something you said, which kind of really resonated with me. You said when it comes to matters of social justice, the church should ideally be more left-leaning and theology and doctrine more right-leaning. And it kind of took me back to my Bible study this morning, because I was reading in the book of Luke, when Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem and he wanted to travel through Samaria and the Samaritans kicked him out and he had to take a different mm. route. Shortly after mm. that, he was encountered by somebody who asked him, who is my neighbor? 
and then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And as mm. I was meditating, I'm thinking, not too long ago, you were kicked out by the Samaritans, and then you used them as the example of the person to yeah. be helped. You know, yeah. so the person that you should actually detest is the very character that he's used as the object of love. And I just thought to myself, this is amazing. And it just it just yeah. literally shows left left leaning in the sense that, well, I want to judge them. I want to separate myself from them. But actually, I should yeah. love them. So it's that balance of, yeah. you know, the doctrine that, you know, we're encouraged to love our neighbor, whoever that neighbor may be. That like we may just not that's be right. seeing through the same, seeing things through the same lens. But it's, it's yeah. amazing. And that's right. And the, and the Samaritan uh, parable, absolutely, is really. So, first of all, the Samaritan's the bad guys. Yeah. And yet he yeah. turns out to be, you know, he's, he, but he's, he's loving his neighbor who's Jewish. And also, the people who didn't help him were very grand Jewish people. So, the, you know, the, you, the those who you meant to love are everybody, including the people you find it hardest to love. I mean, I've been very crass and very generalizing when I said about, you know, the left wing on certain things and right wing on others. But what I will say is this. So, you know, Christians will very often, you know, write to me on issues on to do with, to do with personal morality and in particular, I'd say abortion, you know, and I'm not saying they're wrong to do that, by the way. Um, but I wish Christians wrote to me with as much passion when, you know, the government's cutting international aid, for example. Mm or being beastly to refugees, for instance, you know, so let's, let's, I mean, whether, I mean, you know, I am not going to claim to be some you know, deeply, heavily informed Bible scholar, yeah. but the book of Amos, I love the book of Amos because it's so comprehensive, you know, the account of the condemnation of, of, of us as human beings of Israel in particular, then mm. it was, the people being condemned for who they slept with and who they didn't share their money with. Um, and, it, and their, and their complacency in the face of, um, of injustice. And so, I mean, I, I don't mean to, to, to be offensive when I say that Christianity in the Bible is offensive, but it is offensive because it, mm. it attacks our very core um, with a goodness that we don't have. And um, and that's in every corner of your life. There's no no go areas in your life mm. when it when it comes to Jesus, and and he will radically transform every part of you mm. if you let him. And that yeah. will and so don't go in with any preconceived ideas. And if you expect Christianity to confirm the stuff you already thought, mm, I know. you're in for a nasty surprise. surprise. Yeah. <laughs> And this has been really insightful. I'm just going to go with one final question yeah. because I would imagine there might be people listening going, do you know what? Maybe I should actually consider, you know, going into politics as a Christian to shine the light, mm. you know, to be the salt and light and maybe just to show a bit more compassion and to serve. Um, and they might be even young, maybe teenagers, because you started really young or they might be on, you know, on the older side of the spectrum. But what would you be your advice or encouragement to Christians who want to be involved in politics or who are thinking about it, who've been involved and maybe they've been burned and they came back out? You know, I don't know people's journeys, but I would imagine mm. somebody listening might be interested in going into politics. So some advice for them. Yeah, I mean, I feel a part, I mean, a real kind of calling for me is to um, speak into the Christian community in this country and beyond about politics, about how we can think wisely and in a Christian way about politics. You don't need to get involved in it. Just be aware about it. Pray about it in an informed way mm. um, and uh, and form your opinions in, 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 in you know, wisely. But I think for, for some Christians, there will be a calling to step up 
stand for the council, stand for parliament or what have you. Mm. And I think what I'd say uh, to them, obviously I'm bound to say, and I can say this because I don't get paid for it, but I do my weekly radio show on, on Premier. It's called The Mucky Business, a podcast. And I talk to people from all different backgrounds. You'll get to get a sense each week as to how different people who are Christians made their way in. And some of them were very faltering like me. Some were Christians and felt very clearly called into political life. Stephen Timms, Labour MP um, for East Ham, for example, a great, a great example of somebody who felt very clearly, specifically called into politics and served wonderfully as a result. But I think I'd say that, um, so the thing about being a Christian in politics is that it's a way of serving. Um, yeah. And, uh, it is, uh, but in terms of how you protect yourself, one of the really crucial things is to make sure it's something that you and your church or your home group or a group of Christians you've got around you, um, that they're supportive of you. I, I think that that you bring the things that you'll come across as you're in your journey mm. to becoming a counsellor or an MP to that group for prayer, for advice, right. yeah. Um don't become a coal out of fire because you can end up um, making politics a thing you do instead of your Christian mm. life. And that's dangerous. And I would say many of the mistakes I made, particularly in my time in senior positions as president of the party during coalition and as leader of the party uh, immediately afterwards, they were made because I wasn't properly, I wasn't meeting with other, I was going to church on a Sunday and I was praying with my wife and that's about it. You know, I was not meeting. I was not really um, sounding out, you know, uh, wise Christian heads um, on issues. I wasn't bringing these concerns to them. I wasn't being open. And as a result, I was able to kind of, you know, end up in places I shouldn't have been in terms of um, where my head was at. So don't stop meeting with others. You know, make sure if you're going to get involved in politics, make it something you do with a group of people. Even if they're not involved in that politics with you, mm. they're at least carrying you and praying for you and supporting you and holding you accountable. Mm. That's really insightful. Wow. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been such a loaded um, session, very insightful. And hopefully people who who've listened so far have taken something away from this discussion because I've taken quite a lot. I'm thinking maybe I should go and do a bit more on myself and be more educated <laughs> on the topic of politics instead of being an illiterate, which I think I may be very much close to. <laughs> I think I could do with more knowledge on the, on the topic of politics altogether. But no, thank you again so much, Tim, for sharing with us for taking out of you i'm sure very busy schedule in houses of parliament to to be with us today and um hopefully we get to do this again sometime yeah i'd love to certainly a real blessing thank you for having me thank you for your lovely questions and and um you know god bless and good wishes to everybody listening thank you you've been listening to the church on box podcast with me sarah tabor if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's program please visit the church on box facebook group I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to hear more about what I think about today's topic, go and sign up for our email list at www.churchonbox.net and we'll be in touch.